So last week we began a new series called Naked Spirituality, A Life with God in 12 Simple Words. It's based on the book by the same name, uh, written by our friend Brian McLaren, who I thought last week did a masterful job at introducing us to the journey we're going to be on over the next 12 weeks as we explore these 12 simple words that have the potential and capacity to open us up to the journey of transformation in new and beautiful ways. Uh, he talked about the seasons of the spiritual life and how that you, you can sort of see the, the rhythm of seasons, uh, the spring, the summer, the fall, and the winter. And maybe the most helpful thing for me last week was, uh, and I read this book a couple times, but when he was talking about it, it really jumped out at me. It's that this is also helps us find a way to transcend and include the previous versions of ourselves, if that makes sense, that... Um, there are lots of me's over the last 40 years that have existed, lots of versions of me's, different me's who have believed different things, things now that I, have, I, I feel embarrassed about, things now that I regret. Um, I've given sermons that I regret. I've, I've treated people in ways I regret. But what this, this, uh, th- these seasons and what this journey does is it helps us understand that we're always in process and we're always hopefully, hopefully learning and growing and changing. And so this idea that, yeah, that was a version of me, but that version of me who is still like, if you cut open a tree, you have all the rings, right? Um, that version of me is still in there because that person helped make me who I am today. I think about it like, um, like an iPhone, right? When you, when you hold an iPhone, let's say um, whatever the newest model is, you hold it in your hand. You're not just holding an iPhone. You're holding all the previous versions. And not only that, you're holding a, the previous versions of the iPod. Do you remember the iPod? Wasn't the iPod incredible? Um, I remember when I got my iPod, it was, um, like a fifth generation. It was, it was the, one of the first video iPod, uh, pods available. I was so excited. And I thought this is the peak and pinnacle of technology. And of course it isn't. Um, but every time I hold my phone in my hand, I'm aware that the entirety of all of that creative technological development is all a part of this. It all led up to this moment. So I, I just found that that's not even the sermon today. That's just um, something that I found truly moving and meaningful as a way of processing sort of my own journey and experience. So today we're going to begin with the season of simplicity, which is the springtime. It's a season of spiritual awakening and, and excitement and growth. Um, and, and when you think about the springtime, if, if you think about plant life or even human life, when, when plant life first begins to break through what was frozen soil just a little bit before, when, when those first shoots of plant life begin to break through the soil, they're very fragile. When you think of human life, when a human being enters the world, we're really, really fragile. We depend on lots of things going right for our existence to continue. For plants, it's the right amount of sun. It's the right amount of rain. And it's the right amount of uh, temperature. It's all of those things that have to work together and, and the right amount of care. Um, and then with human beings, I mean, we enter the world completely helpless, depending on everybody around us who loves us and cares for us to make sure that we are fed, that we're changed, that we don't, even as we begin to toddle around, that we don't put our fingers in a light socket or that we don't walk out into traffic. We, we need people around us. And this, so the springtime, yes, it's exhilarating. It's full of new life. It's full of new growth, new things, learning, learning new things. All sorts of exciting things are happening. And also at the same time, there's a, a bit of fragility to it. 
you know, I can remember being 11 years old and that, that was how old I was when I um, was baptized. And the way I ended up getting baptized is my grandpa, grandpa was preaching a revival service and our family went and the pastor of the church where he was preaching at the end of the sermon, um, he got up and said, you know, before we go, and he tells this story about somebody who had been to a church service just like this, who had heard an invitation just like this, and who said, I'll do it some other time. And they left and they went home and they died, right? And it was sort of the idea of like, there's a lot of people in this room, there's a good chance somebody could die tonight. And I was 11 years old and did not want that to be me, especially if I hadn't made all, you know, dotted all the I's and crossed the T's with Jesus. And so I, you know, I went forward and then a little bit later I got baptized. And after I got baptized, my parents gave me a, a Bible. Um, it was, it was a, just sort of a, a gift and a word Bible, if you know what that is. Um, King James, because our church believed that, uh, at that point um, that, that King James Bible was the only right one. And I can remember being given that Bible and just immediately beginning, uh, even though I'd grown up with flannel graph, right? I'd grown up with Bible stories and I knew the stories and I knew the songs about the stories and all the things. But there was something about getting that Bible. It wasn't my first Bible, but it was something about getting that Bible after just getting baptized, after just making sort of that, that public decision that I just began devouring. I, I was a little bit obsessed with it. Um, and I became that person, that probably annoying person who went to school and just immediately started judging all my friends. And I was really engaged in that dualism. Like it's, you're right or you're wrong. And you're right because you believe what I believe and my family and my church believes. And if you don't, you're wrong and you're probably going to hell and you need to repent. And I can help you do that. And here's some verses in the Bible. And so I, I was just sort of in this, this dualistic, this right and wrong, this really black and white, it's really clear when, when most things are clear as mud in the world, right? Um, and that was, that was simplicity in some ways for me. It was very simple. Um, and I probably turned off a lot of people and probably um, annoyed a lot of people in that process. But it was a time of new growth for me. It was a time of excitement. Um, and, and I, you know, I, th I think when I think about the season of simplicity, the goal is not to be stuck here. All right, it's it's a good thing. I mean, you think about think about um, if you've ever started dating someone. This is I remember this from uh, especially even being in like late middle school, high school, and you start dating somebody, and you have you know at the time we had landlines with cords on them, right? And you would be on the phone, and nobody wants to hang up. This is so new. You just want to talk all the time, and it's like you hang up. No, you hang up. And there's just this kind of excitement and energy to it, and that's a really beautiful thing. And actually, in this season of simplicity, there are lots of really important lessons we learn. We actually can't get to complexity without simplicity. Simplicity is a necessary beginning point. You can't have a fully grown fruit-bearing plant uh, tree that doesn't start out as a sapling, right? Human beings start as newborns. You can't skip the stage. If you skip, try to skip that stage, none of it works. But the ho hope and the goal is to not get stuck in this stage, the hope is to learn the lessons of this stage, to receive the gifts of this stage, and then to leave behind in this stage the things that we don't need to take, that we don't want to take forward into our journey and growth uh, toward transformation. And this first word we're going to look at today is the word here. H-E-R-E, -E, you know, here, right here, right now. And by here, we could be talking about place, right? Like, where are you? I'm here. I'm in my Kitchen, that's where I am. I'm here. We also, we also could be talking about time. Where are you? Well, I'm here in this 
moment in this particular uh, collision of space, space and time, I'm existing right now here. And it's about awakening to God's presence. And I think we should pause and just talk about that word God. And can we just be honest and say that when, when people use the word God, um, it, it can be kind of tricky because not everybody understands that word to have the same content or, or to mean the same thing. When some people say the word God, they're talking about a being, a separate being who is somewhere, somewhere, um, you know, when I was a kid, for example, when I was in my simplicity stage, uh, I understood God to, to live above the clouds, above the space, like somewhere in outer space. Uh, uh, I, I didn't know where, but somewhere there was a, a big chair, a big throne, and God was there overseeing the universe. And for some people, that's the conception of God they hold their entire life. And that, I'm not saying that as a judgment. I'm just, that, that's true, right? Like for some people, when they hear the word God, they think of uh, of uh a big giant old man with a white beard. When some people hear the word God, um, maybe they have associations in their own life that are pretty painful. And so this, maybe the God is seen as this authority figure and the authority figures in their life haven't been good or kind. And so it brings up all sorts of feelings. Maybe when some people say they'll hear the word God, they're like, that just seems like ancient superstition. Why are we even still talking about it? Um, when I hear the word God, and I actually recently was having a conversation with uh, my daughter, uh, one of my daughters, about God, and, and, and she was trying to understand. So, so God is not a he, and God is not she. God isn't up there. God is everywhere. And I sort of use the language of, you know, it's, it's kind of like the air we breathe, right? The air we breathe is all around us all the time. And it's inside of us. And we often aren't even aware of it. And we, and we had some conversations that uh, of a metaphor I'm going to use later about a fish in water. And we just, we, we, and, and it was a, it was a great chat. She asks so many wonderful questions. She's six and just, just, it's beautiful. And at the end of the conversation, she said, uh, the next day, we were actually driving to church. This happened on a Saturday. We we're driving to church. And the next day, and she said, you know, Dad, we had a really good talk last night. I said, yeah, we had a really good talk last night. She said, it wasn't even boring, um, which I, like, I guess that she expected it to be boring. I'm glad it wasn't. But, but this idea of God can be tricky. And so I just want to say, wherever you are with that image, um, we're, we're going to be talking about awakening to the presence and reality of, of, of God. And, and maybe let's open ourselves up to the idea that whatever our understanding of God is, um, that the reality of that is, is far beyond, right? That we actually never name God, um, that we actually can never say this is exactly what God is because uh, that's just outside of our pay grade. God is, uh, is beyond being captured and found. The best we can do, um, an ancient theologian, Thomas Aquinas, said the best we can do is we can talk about God by analogy. God is like. Um, and so that's just, just wanted to name that. And I also want to say this idea of awakening to God's presence. Um, what we're not talking about is we're not talking about this thing that often gets said when you go to a church service or you're at a thing, uh, 
some event or there's something you're praying for or whatever. And, and the phrase when it goes well is, well, God showed up. Whew. We went to church last week and the last several weeks had been a little boring, but man, let me tell you what, God showed up this week. They turned the temperature down. And so we all had, you know, a little bit of chills and then they, the lights hit a certain way and there was a fog machine and the song. And it was just like, God showed up. That's not what we mean by awakening to God's presence. Because actually, what we'll see in a minute is it's not God that ever shows up. It's always us. It's always you and I that ends up doing the showing up. So the idea to be here, we're we're talking about cultivating an awareness of what's already real. Cultivating an awareness of reality. Cultivating an awareness of the divine. There are two stories from the Bible that really speak to this. And they really kind of happen a a little close together. One's in the book of Genesis and one's in the book of Exodus um, and the one in Genesis is in Genesis 28, and it's about a guy named Jacob who is on the run because he has cheated his brother out of his blessing, out of his birthright, out of his inheritance. And so Jacob's brother is going to kill him after their father passes away. And so Jacob's mother says, you need to get out of here and go to your uncle's place. And while Jacob is on the journey, uh, I mean, you can imagine he's probably just thrown some stuff in a Walmart bag and he's on the way, right? He didn't have time to really think about it. He's just on the journey. A lot of things are going through his head. He's, 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 he's worried. He's, he's tense. He's, and he stops at, uh, the Bible just says a certain place and he puts a rock under his head and he goes to sleep. And while he's asleep, he has this dream of a staircase that reaches to the sky and on this staircase, at the top of this staircase is God. And God speaks some promises to Jacob about, you're going to go and things seem really rough right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have many descendants and I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bring you back to this particular, this land you're leaving, I'm going to bring you back to. And Jacob wakes up from this dream. And here's what he says in Genesis 28, 16. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought to himself, the Lord is definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. It's one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. The Lord was definitely in this place, but I didn't know it. It's interesting. His impulse is not, well, God showed up. I went to sleep and God showed up. Uh, You know, I I was just doing my thing and God just, poof, God showed up. Like my fairy godmother, God showed up and bippity boppity booed the situation. And here we are. It's not where Jacob goes. He says, no, oh, I had no idea that God was like, when I showed up, God had already been here. When I showed up, the, the ground of my being was already being here. Um, and he has this understanding that it's, it's, it's Jacob who's becoming aware of something. It's Jacob who's, who's cluing in and keying in on what's already true. And then the other story is the story of Moses at the burning bush, right? Where Moses has also been on the run because he killed an Egyptian uh, who, who had been um, harming one of the enslaved Hebrews who were, who Moses lived in this really fraught place of, being a Hebrew who were enslaved by the Egyptians, but also growing up uh, in Pharaoh's household. So, so Moses is navigating these two identities, which are really complex. And when he sees one of the Egyptians harming a Hebrew, one of the enslaved Hebrews, he acts, he responds and he kills the Egyptian. It gets discovered and he goes on the run. And he, he ends up getting married. And in this particular place in Exodus 3, he's actually tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Je- father-in-law Jethro. Um, I, I just, every time I read Jethro's name in the Bible, I just want to make a joke about a cement pond. Um, and if you are of a certain um, age bracket, that's, you're going to remember that show, Beverly Hillbillies. Um, and anyway, so he's out, he's a shepherd and he's tending the sheep and he ends up 
Um, I'll just read it to you in Exodus 3, verse 2. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush is. So he's doing the normal thing he always does. And yet he passes and he notices there's this, there's this bush that is burning, but it is not consumed, right? It's a flame, but it's not disintegrating and turning to ash. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I'm here, right? I'm here. I'm in this moment. I'm in this time. I'm on this ground. And the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because the ground you're standing on is holy. Now, the rabbis for generations have talked about whether or not the bush started burning that particular moment or whether the bush had always been burning. And Moses was just beginning to see it. And it created an awareness of him. And of course, this this moment, with all of Moses' excuses about why he's not the right candidate for the job, launches the liberation movement of the Exodus, which is the defining, like when you read the Bible and it uses the word salvation, the Exodus is one of the major uh, the major meanings, this idea of being liberated from bondage is one of the major meanings of salvation in the Bible. I just love that. The divine calls out, Moses, Moses. Moses just says, I'm here. I'm here. I'm in this time. I'm on this holy ground. I'm in this particular moment. Those moments created an awareness and the awareness created hereness. The, the awareness of, oh, there's something going on here that I have not been clued in on before, but now I'm really starting, my, I'm, I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it and I'm open to it. And whatever it is, I'm now beginning to see it in a way I had never seen it before. You know, I, th- I think what limits our ability to be here, um, what, I'm, what I'm calling hereness, which is, I don't think actually that word, but it is now. Um, what limits our hereness, I think in, in lots of ways, there are really two things. Uh, well, there could be many, but uh, one is nostalgia, right? What keeps us from being here in this moment, in the present, is so often that we're living in the past, that we're replaying our greatest hits, that we're reliving past successes and how it used to be back then. Uh, I mean, if you've ever been around church, you know that that can really become a rut that the church lives in, which is, well, you remember how it was 20 years ago. You remember it was 50 years ago. You remember it was 60 years ago. And, and it's sort of like there's this past time that was better that everybody, and it's interesting. This happens, I think, in, to religions, countries, families, all of it. Like it was way better back then if we could just go back there. And what we forget is actually it probably wasn't. It was, it was also difficult then. There were challenges then, and there were things we got wrong then, and there were things we didn't know then. And there are all sorts of reasons why back there, isn't as idyllic and perfect as we imagine it to be or think we remember it to be. But when you're so grounded in nostalgia and everything comes from, and look, is there anything wrong with with feeling a little nostalgic from time to time? Of course not. Sometimes it's indisputable that the 90s were the greatest decade for music probably ever, especially the mid to late 90s. And I, you know, I, I just, yeah. We shouldn't even get into this conversation. Um, but um, when I was a kid, I remember my dad would listen to music from the 60s and 70s. And so I remember, you know, growing up listening to bands like Fleetwood Mac and the Doobie Brothers and 
I always wondered why he wanted to listen to music that was from the past. Why not listen to stuff now? Because the stuff on the radio now is pretty cool. Um, now I get it. There's something about listening to the songs. And for me, a song can transport you back to a memory, right? Like I, I will remember a song and I can remember being in the cruise line at the Southside Mall in South Williamson, Kentucky. And uh, it's tied to memory. And there's, that's okay. It's okay to walk down memory lane and to have warm and nostalgic feelings. But when nostalgia becomes your compass, when nostalgia becomes your North Star, when nostalgia is how you're determining the future, or how you're showing up or not showing up in the present, then nostalgia is really getting in the way from being here and, and seeing the challenges of here and what needs to be wrestled with here and what is inviting us to participate here. Nostalgia can take us way, 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 way off course if it becomes the driving factor in our lives. And then the other is, is, is sort of escapism. It's this idea that perhaps in the future, it's all going to be better. And so I'm just going to kind of go through this moment and get through it and then get to the future because, and listen, I'm, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I'm, you know, this is the first weekend of September. And if it were up to me, um, there would be Halloween decorations everywhere. And on November 1st, those would come down and Christmas decorations would go up. And I'm, I'm just so excited to get to that, right? So we just want to fast forward through everything else and get to those moments. But the problem is when, when, this, when, um, anticipation becomes escapism. It causes us to disengage in the present and causes us to think about a time, well, it'll be better then, and I'll be happier then, and this will all be over then. And escapism causes us to miss the challenge and the beauty and the invitation and experience of this moment, this moment right here, right now. In, this, in that chair you're sitting in, on that couch, at that kitchen table where you're eating avocado toast, right now in this moment where you are, where we are engaging together, this particular here-ness that we're all experiencing. Well, we don't get this particular moment back. And, and, and this escape, nostalgia and escapism are pulling us in, like, like stretch armstronging us in a couple directions that ultimately cause us to miss the gift of now, the gift of this particular moment. I find it interesting that when God in Exodus chapter three will, will tell Moses in a bit who this God is, because Moses doesn't know, um, the God, this God uses in English, it's translated I am, right? Which is the verb to be. <laughs> but it also, um, it also is a way of saying, I'm not in the past and I'm not in the future. I'm here. Uh, as God invites Moses to take off Moses' shoes and be here on this ground in this moment, God is saying, I'm not inviting you to do a thing I'm not doing with you. I am here in this moment. Um, so a couple things. Uh, I want to share a few practices that might um, help us cultivate a sense of hearness. I'm not, and, and the practices, these are more like ideas. And then um, your homework, if, if that's a thing you want to do, is to go figure out ways to maybe engage around these ideas. What are some practices you could do that would help you um, be here? And so here's the first thing. I think pausing is important. Not, not like right now. Don't like, I mean, if you can, if you want to, but you can pause. But I mean, taking moments of, of rest and, and pausing from the hectic and the hurry and the busy and the noise and, and all the things, right? Um, I, I find sometimes that I, I work just as well when I have 
all sorts of background noise. When I have the news on while I'm trying to write, like, yeah, I can do that. And I can, and, and, and sometimes I wonder why, why do I need all the things happening all the time? Is it, is it because there's, there's something in the silence, in the pause, in the moment that I don't want to hear that I don't want that something that will come from within me or something. Um, so I think finding, finding ways to pause. And I think most of us probably say, well, you know, I, I don't have time to just, stop my life every day for an hour no maybe not but what what if we what if we somehow creatively found a way to to take a, just a couple of minutes to orient ourselves to the moment we're in what if we take just a couple of moments and this leads to the second thing pausing and then grounding so let's do something really quick Where, wherever you're sitting if you're sitting in a you know if you're in a car don't feel compelled and and, and hopefully you're just listening and watching um, put your feet on the ground uh, put your put your hands on your lap and just feel what it feels like to have your feet on the ground. What your feet on the ground are telling you right now is that you're here. Your feet are here on this ground in this place. And maybe put your just your hands on your legs and close your eyes and just take a couple of deep breaths. And, and maybe if you need a mantra, um, as you're doing this to sort of guide you and focus you, maybe just as you breathe in and out, just say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Feel, feel the weight of your body against the seat. Know that it's holding you up, that this ground is holding you up, that you're not somewhere else. You're not back then and you're not out there in the future, that you are right here in this moment and you're being held in this moment. And there, there's stuff for you to attend to in the hereness of this moment. And then there's this idea of invocation. Now, invocation is um, something people often do at the beginning of a gathering, like at the beginning of a worship gathering, or I have this, uh, at my kindergarten commencement in, um, I guess it was 1986, uh, my grandfather, who was a pastor, got invited to do the invocation. And um, there's this great moment when he gets up and he's going to say, like, welcome, distinguished guests. But he says, welcome, extinguished guests. And it's just, just fantastic. Um, that's when I hear the word invocation. That's the memory that comes to my brain. But this idea to invoke something uh, is to summon, right? So invocation at the beginning of a gathering is sort of where you say, God, we are here and we want you to show up for us. God, we usually start with an invocation and an end, and we do, we do end with this at Grace Point often, a benediction, which is sort of a parting blessing, a parting hope, a parting good word uh, as people leave. But when we talk about invocation, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about showing up and saying, God, we're here. Now, where are you? God, we've shown up. Will you show up? For us, invocation isn't about summoning God, isn't about awakening God. It isn't about convincing God to, to be here with us. When we talk about invocation, it's about in summoning ourselves. It's about awakening ourselves. Listen to what Brian says in the book, Naked Spirituality. Through invocation, we are calling inward to our own souls, summoning ourselves to wake up so we can attend to the presence in whose attention we are held and in whom we live, move, and have our being. That's my favorite way of describing whatever the word God is pointing to. Uh, it's from the book of Acts where... Um, Paul in Acts says, God in whom we live, move, and exist. I love that idea. It, whatever invocation is, it is what we do to get our own attention. It's whatever we do to pause, to be grounded, and to be here. Whatever, whatever snaps us into the awareness of the moment. 
is an invocation. And I wonder what creative ways. And, and, and it's, it's sort of one of those things that we, we can't, we can't, we just can't see what's right in front of us. Um, when, uh, our oldest turned like one, he had an Elmo birthday party. And if you've ever watched Sesame Street, you know, Elmo had a fish. I think the fish's name is Dorothy. And we decided that um, he, he got a fish for his birthday in a fishbowl, right? And the fish did not make it very long at our house. But uh, we gave away a fish as a prize or, or a punishment. Probably if the parent, the parents probably thought who received the, the, the child of the child who received the fish probably thought it was a punishment. But that apparently that fish lived for like, it's probably, I mean, I think today it's still alive all these years later, right? Like the fish live forever. But it's so, you know, when you watch a fish in a fishbowl, do um, you ever wonder, like, do they know they're in water? Do they, are they aware? Um, are, are they aware that they are, like, submerged in liquid? Or is it just their reality and it's the thing they're used to and, and they just really don't think it's anything out of the ordinary? And that idea of if we are the fish, God is the water, that we live, move and have our being inside of this reality, this reality that uh, is coursing and pulsing through all things, that's pulling all things toward more goodness, love, compassion, and transformation, that that is all around us. And like air, it is in us. We, we are awesome. This, that's why this idea that human beings are separated from God, it is just a myth. It is a shame, fear-based myth. Because you, you, you cannot exist outside of air. Fish cannot exist outside of water. We cannot exist outside of God, the one in whom we live, move, and exist, the one in whom all of creation exists and is held and sustained. And if we entered the world with that mindset, that whatever this reality called God is, and maybe I'm, I'm not sure, and some days, you know, are there some days where you're just not even sure about the whole God thing? Yeah, it's okay. Um, that, that's a, that's a, a pretty normal experience, I think. Uh, I've had it, I have it, but you do too sometimes. But this reality, if we, what if we thought, no, we're not trying to get God's attention and get God to come over here. We're not flagging God down saying, hey, help us over here. Instead, we're just trying to be here. And maybe by being here, by being grounded, by taking a pause, by, by doing whatever it takes to jar us into the present, um, we can begin to take the next step on our own journey of transformation. Because even when here is difficult, being here is a really really good place to be because ultimately the past is not accessible only in memory and our memories um, are often fonder than our actual reality was at the time and the future is not decided and it is out in front of us and we are we are making the future with all of the here moments and if we're not engaged in the here if we're not focused in the here if we're not attentive to the here then how in the world is the future going to be better there is no pre-made future that, that some being named God made for us that we're just going to walk into someday. The future is being put together, decided, and created right now in this moment by how we show up here. So my deepest hope is that we can show up with the fullness of our humanities 
here with all of our creativity, with all of the beauty, with all of the pain, with all of it. And that together in the here, we can begin to shape what that future, what tomorrow's here could be like.